Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by Living Word Church. We trust that as you hear the Word of God preached, you'll be encouraged and equipped to love God and do His will. If you're looking for a church home, please feel free to visit our Sunday morning worship service at 10 a.m. or visit our website at www.livingwordchurch.cc. And now for our message. Today, today we are uh, in week maybe seven or so, eight of uh, our Heart of God series. Uh, anybody been blessed by that so far? We've been dealing with the, the, I mean, God's heart is so big, right? There's, we could talk about it endlessly, but we've just kind of explored um, a number of different things that we find that scripture tells us are at the center of God's heart. And we found riches there. Um, And I think that God has something to say to us this morning, and I'm going to try to stay out of his way. Um, So today we're going to deal with community at the heart of God. Um, Let me just pray, and then we'll we'll go for it. Lord, we thank you um, for your presence here with us this morning. Lord, we didn't come here today hoping that you would also show up, um, but this is your house. Um, We came to visit you. You were present before we arrived. Um, you are the host of our breakfast and our meeting this morning. And so you are here. You are um, prepared and excited and eager to speak with us. And you have already. So continue that now in these next few minutes. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So uh, we've heard a lot of different things about the heart of God the last couple of months. Um, I think the only one that uh, I wasn't able to be here for was two weeks ago. Um, Anybody here for Jamil Willis's sermon, um, God's Heart for the Poor, Those in Poverty? Yes, amen. Um, I was able to go back and listen to that. I'm just going to grab the water bottle there. Thanks. I went back and listened to that, and, um, well, I kind of wish that I hadn't, if I'm honest, because I was like, cut to the heart. And if you were here for that, I can't imagine you escaping without feeling some sense of, like, wish I was sick this morning or at a different church, right? Because it was just so powerfully clear from Jamil's words. And, and his words were rich, right? Because it, it's easy to stand up and talk about an idea, but that's a man who has experienced the things that he shared with us, serving and loving the poor and being Jesus to those who are living in poverty. It was, it was beautiful. I remember as I was listening to it, I remembered being a student um, downtown and almost every day, um, you know, interacting with people who were homeless and having just that constant conversation within myself of how do I handle this? What do I do? And the truth is more often than not, the loudest voice that won out in my mind was the voice uh, Jamil mentioned, which said, they're probably just going to use that for something less than good. So we probably shouldn't, you know, share, share money with, with these folks. And as I heard him, I just, for not the first time, I was convicted that it's not about what we deserve. It's about the heart of God. Amen? And the heart of God for the poor is kind and is loving and generous towards them. So I was, I was convicted by what Jamil shared with us. And I also was uh, struck by something else that he made very clear, but that I think is a little more easily overlooked. And... You may have picked up on this. If not, I encourage you to listen again and see the way that he did this. But what Jamil made very clear to us was that if we want to know the heart of God, the place that we look is at Jesus, right? There are other places we can look 
to get a sense of the heart of God. We can even look at other people and see something of the heart of God, right? We can see God's heart uh, in each other, right? As, as you love me, as God has called you to, and as I love you, right? We, we get a sense of what God is like. But ultimately, there is one full and final place where we see the heart of God revealed, and that is in Jesus. Scripture tells us that Jesus is the image of God invisible, the firstborn of all creation, and that in him, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. The heart of God is in Jesus. Hebrews even goes so far as to say that God used to speak to us in all these other ways through the prophets, but now in these last days, he has spoken his final word in Jesus, and that Jesus is the reflection of God's glory and the exact imprint of his being. So if we want to know the heart of God, we look at Jesus, right? If we, if we want to know God's heart for steadfast love, we look at Jesus. If we want to know God's heart for justice or for generosity or even his heart of fatherhood, ultimately we go to Jesus. And if we want to know God's heart for community, we look at Jesus. However, I don't think that's quite the right way of saying it. And bear with me here. Right? There's, there's a nuance here that I want us to catch on to. And the truth is, I have had seasoned uh, pastors and preachers tell me that nuance is probably not um, the most helpful way to structure a sermon. But I am confident that you guys can track with me on this. I think this nuance makes such an incredible difference that I'm going to see if we can take it and run with it this morning, okay? Now, follow me here. God's heart is for community, I just said, right? And there's, of course, there's some truth in that. But, but think about the things that you have a heart for, right? Maybe shout them out. What do you have a heart for? Anyone? Again? Kids? Seniors? Life? Say again? Friends? Amen? Music. Awesome. Anybody have a heart for justice? Right? We've talked about that in this sermon series on Freedom Sunday. Anyone have a heart for the poor like Jamil encouraged us to? Right? We, all, we, we find that we have hearts for things. But when we put it that way, what we imply is that there's this thing out here and that we have a heart for it. Right? That we're kind of in favor of it. And so when we say that God has a heart for community, the implication is that community exists out here as an idea and that God is in favor of it, or has a, has a heart for it. Does that make sense? Are you tracking with me? The community exists outside of God, but God, if you will, gives it his blessing. We hear, uh, especially in this season, all kinds of political candidates who are for this or for that, and uh, we might vote them in and find out a few months later that they don't actually embody what they're for, right? There's this disconnect between being for something and us, or or that person, or, or between God and community, right? But, but the nuance that's so critical for us to understand is that when we say God has a heart for community, the implication is that it's outside of God, but that is not what we know of who God is. Community is not a good idea that God had. Community is the essence of who God is, right? If you can click to the first slide here, Daniel, you'll be familiar with this image. Can anyone tell me what those three circles represent? You don't know. Anyone else? Louder. Trinity. Anybody not know what that word is? That's okay. Join the club. I don't want to preach a sermon on the Trinity today because that'll be a miserable failure. 
But, right, the idea that God is Father and Son and Holy Spirit tells us something that we have to grab hold of if we want to understand who God is. God is a community. That is who God is. It's who God has always been and who God will always be. Community does not exist outside of God. God is community. All community finds its source, plant, has its roots planted in the very essence of who God is. Because from eternity before us to eternity coming after us, God has been and will be a community. So all community finds its source in who God is. And this idea that God is three in one, is Father, Son, and Spirit, is one of the most fundamental things that we as Christians believe. But I don't know that we realize how far-reaching the implications of it are. Because this reality, the reality that God himself is a community, means that if I ask you, what is the most fundamental thing in all of existence? You would answer God. But do you realize that the answer is also community? That you can't say the word God without also saying the word community. Because God is a community. So all that is to say this, that if God doesn't have a heart for community, right? But God is a community. And if God is community, that means that all community in in human experience finds its source in who God is, in the life of God, right? And that reality is essential because the question never stops with what is the heart of God or what is God like or who is God or what does God care about? The question always extends from that to what difference does that make for us? What is God like and what does that mean for us? What does the heart of God have to say about what the heart of his people should be like? What does how, what God is like change what living word church is like? God in his very essence is community, right? So we can say it this way. There is no separation between God and community. Amen? One and the same, God and community. And so if we as a people are the people of God, a community, then there can be no separation between living word church and community. Amen? And this is not meant as a critique. I have experienced community in this church unlike anywhere else in my short or long, depending on your perspective, 27.11 years of life. Um, And it has been beautiful. I experienced community in this church like I didn't know I could. For much of my life, it was an idea, and then all of a sudden, it has become a reality in this church. I trust many of you have experienced that as well, and it's, it's beautiful, and it's not just an idea, right? I'm not just saying that community exists here, but that it exists the way that it ought to here. That the way we have community in this church is reflective of the community that God is. Loving, self-sacrificing, concerned not with ourselves, but with the other person, right? That is the uh, community I've experienced here. And it has been a beautiful and life-changing experience. And so I want to do, what I want to do today is, is take that and call us even deeper into it. And I want us to get hold, grab hold of something that makes all the difference for how we understand what it means for us to be a community that is grounded and finds our source 
in God himself, in the essence of who God is. And so I want to do that by looking at the next slide from 2 Peter chapter 1. You may be familiar with this passage. Peter says that God has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them we may participate in the divine nature. Isn't that crazy? I think that's got to be one of the most radical things in probably all of scripture, right? It's actually the kind of thing that ended up getting Jesus killed because Jesus went around saying things like, I and the Father are one. And the Pharisees said that's blasphemy and ultimately they put him on the cross. This isn't exactly that, but it's similar, right? That we become participants in the divine nature? That's crazy. And it's not something I think that we really uh, reckon with on a regular basis. And it's the kind of thing that makes all the difference for how we understand how we live as community. Because what Peter helps us to see is that we can understand that community finds its source in God and yet somehow still slightly misunderstand what it means for us to be the church community. You following me? So look at the next slide here. This is probably the most complicated part of this sermon. Bear with me, right? Here's, here's how I think we tend to understand community. That God exists as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as a community. And that there are communities in the world, gatherings of people, right, whose lives intersect and who spend time with one another and who have shared experiences and shared interests. And that the church is one of those communities in the world that happens to have God at its center. Does that make sense? And of course, there's some truth in this. Uh, don't get me wrong. But there, this is where the nuance really comes in, okay? The idea here is that the church is pretty much like every other community, except that the thing that we unite around is God instead of golf or baseball or books or um, religious experience, even in a way, right? Or political preferences or whatever else. That's the implication of understanding it this way. But according to 2 Peter 1 and verse 4, the next slide shows us that community in the church looks more like this. That God himself is a community. And that the only reason the church as a community exists is because God brings us into the community that already exists within himself. Does that make sense? Are you following me, church? That God is already a community and that we are privileged and blessed to come in and participate in that, right? Participation in the divine nature. What is the divine nature in a word? Community. That is who God is. Community. Amen in the back row there. That's who God is. And this is what it means for the church to be a community that finds its source in who God is. That's even what it means to be saved, right? We think about this a bunch of different ways. But ultimately, what salvation is, is that our sin has separated us from the life of God that we were designed to be participants in. And that God, in his grace, in Jesus, comes to us and brings us back in to share in the shared life of God. And by the way, when I come in and get to share in the life of God... I'm also sharing it with whoever else is also sharing in God's life. There is no escaping that. We're going to say more about that in a minute. But each one of us is drawn in to share in God's life. 
Each one of us gets to participate in God's community with God and with one another. So the church doesn't exist as a community outside of God, like we were saying. It exists as part of the community that God is. And there's no other community on the face of the earth that is like that, right? We encounter all kinds of different communities in this world, and they find their source uh, in all kinds of different things, right? So communities, um, communities unite around shared interests or affinities or political leanings or religious preferences, right? We have all kinds of social clubs and gatherings that um, happen around this or that thing, right? Um, if you were to go back one slide, right? Whatever's in the middle there, where we see God on the right, in the middle, you might put a Cubs logo or a certain kind of food, or it might be a book club or whatever else. There's all kinds of communities in the world, but because true community finds its source in who God is, any attempt at community apart from God is bound to be lacking in some sense, right? Has anyone experienced community in this world that is lacking? I know that I have. And when we find, uh, you can go back forward, Daniel, when we find communities that exist around anything other than who God is, those communities are fragile, right? Those communities can be left or disbanded for any reason. So if I'm in a community that exists because we have a shared interest in sports or in books, well, if, if I disagree with you or we have some kind of issue, I can find another community. We have communities in this world that exist because of geographical boundaries. But if I find that my neighbors are different than me and that makes me uncomfortable, I can move to another community. When I find that your politics are different than mine, well, I can go find someone else to spend my time with who will agree with me and affirm me. But in the church, this community does not revolve around those things, right? Those things exist among us. All that stuff is, is in some sense, part of life, but it is not where the church finds its source as a community. So in the church... When our interests are different, we better just learn to get along, right? That might be an oversimplification, but it's the truth. In the church, when I find that you're different than me and that makes me uncomfortable, I better learn your story. Figure out why I'm uncomfortable. What's wrong in me that I can't welcome you the way I know God has welcomed me? When your politics are different than mine, well, we better just both submit our politics to the politics of the kingdom of God and let him have his way among us. We need that this week. There is no other community on earth that is quite like the church. The communities that we are surrounded by can be left or disbanded at a moment's notice. But the church can only be disbanded if God himself ceases to exist. Which is to say that we are stuck with each other. You are stuck with me, I am stuck with you. Look to your right, look to your left, and tell that person we're stuck with each other. I don't think I've ever done that in a sermon before. I feel like a real preacher now. We're stuck with each other. There's no, there's no disbanding this, right? If we want to share and participate in the life of God, necessarily we share in life with one another. There is no escaping that reality. But church, isn't it a blessed, blessed thing to be stuck with one another? I mean, I know it's hard. 
I have been there when community is really difficult, and you probably have too. And I'm not trying to romanticize that or idealize it. It can be really difficult. But wouldn't you rather be stuck with people than be wandering from place to place with nowhere to call home and nobody to call family? Wouldn't, isn't that preferable? Isn't it preferable to just have to stick it out with the same group of people than to go from one place to another and start the whole process over and end up disappointed again and again and again? And our world is full of people who may not know it, but they are longing to be stuck in community, as we are. The world is full of these people because, exactly because each one of us is made in the very image of God, and God is what? A community. Each one of us has a built-in longing to share life and be stuck with people, to be known and to fully know others, to have our, our deepest longings and our darkest secrets exposed, and yet to still be loved and to be welcomed and not to be cast off, but to be stuck with each other. The only place where the world can find this ultimately and truly is in the church. Not because the church is a perfect community. Amen. We're not perfect. Not because the church has it all together, but because the church is the only community in the world that finds its source in the life and being of God. That is who we are, and that is what the world longs for. And by the way, doesn't this change the way we see a bunch of different things about the the Christian life, right? Doesn't this change the way we see evangelism? Right, that it's not just a process of trying to get people to see it our way or agree with us. But through this lens, evangelism is something more like an invitation into a community. Come and participate with us in what we are participating in. Come share life with us as we share it with God. Doesn't it change the way we see discipleship? That it's not just weight training in morality and trying to live better, but it's a process of learning How do we live in community well? Discipleship is how do we figure out how to be stuck with each other in a way that honors God, right? Community changes the way we see this and more. And so I want to ask the ushers to come forward. We're going to take communion together. They can uh, come up and go ahead and begin distributing that. You can stay in your seats. But I want to end by asking why it is so extraordinary that The church exists as a community by sharing in the life of God. Like, why is that a big deal? Why is that worth spending a Sunday morning reflecting on? And it's because, and you know this, that the fundamental curse, the problem that sin has created in our world is a disconnect, right? In the same way that Adam and Eve could no longer stay in the Garden of Eden, So humankind cannot stay sharing in the life of God because of sin. Sin creates a disconnect where we have been designed in our very being to share in in community, in the life of God with each other. Sin has created a disconnect and cut this off. But this is precisely why, if we can go back to the scripture from 2 Peter, this is exactly why we have to pay attention to how Peter says we have become participants in the life of God. It's because God has given us his precious and very great promises. 
And there's a, we could preach sermons on that till kingdom come. But what does Paul tell us in 2 Corinthians about the promises of God? That all of them, each and every promise God makes, finds its yes and its amen in Jesus. That the promises of God find their fulfillment in Jesus. So we can take Peter's words and say it this way, that God has given us Jesus so that we might participate in the shared life of God. Jesus is the way that we are brought back to share in who God is, as we were designed to do from the very beginning. Jesus is the one who heals the disconnect and who makes it possible for us to once again share in the life of God. And as Jesus uh, does this, how Jesus does this, is that God himself, this community we've talked about, becomes one of us, right? God in Jesus crosses the bridge, covers the, crosses the gap, right? And somehow comes to our side and takes on human, sinful, broken flesh. And somehow these, in Jesus, these two communities are somehow reconciled to each other. So that the way God has always created it to be can be brought back into being in Jesus. And in his life and death and resurrection, Jesus accomplishes this. But before he goes to the cross... To complete that work, Jesus has dinner with his disciples. And uh, at that meal, he takes bread and he breaks it. And he says, this is my body, which is broken for you. And then he takes the cup and he says, this cup is my blood, which is poured out for the forgiveness of sins, for the forgiveness of of that which has created the disconnect between humankind and the life of God. And then Jesus prays these words at that very meal in John 17. He, ta- he prays to his father and says, Father, I pray for my people that, that they may be one. Just as you, Father, and I are one, so let them be one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you, may they be in us. Father, let my people once again share in life with us as they were created to do. This is the work Jesus has accomplished. This is what Jesus has ultimately done. That the disconnect between human community and divine community has been healed. And that each one of us, by the Spirit and in Jesus is welcomed back in to share in the life of God with one another. There is no separation between God and community, and there is no separation between Living Word Church and community. Our salvation is that we share in the shared life of God. I like to put it this way, that we share the shared life we share because God has shared his shared life with us. We share the shared life that we share only because God has shared his shared life with us. That there is a shared life being had in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that we share life together because God has welcomed each and every one of us to share in his own shared life. Amen? This is who we are, church. There's no escaping it. I know it's hard. I've been there. It's difficult. But it's joyous. 
and it's beautiful. And Jesus, uh, when he prays this prayer in John 17, I think I left it off the slide. But he says, let them be one just as you and I are one. May they be in us so that the world will know that you have sent me. So community is not only our salvation, but community is our witness, right? They will know we are Christians by our love, by our unity. How's that old song go? Bill can help me with it. Uh, We're one in the spirit. We are one in the Lord. We are one in the spirit. We are one in the Lord. And we pray that our unity may one day be restored. And they'll know that we are Christians by our love. Our unity has been restored in Christ. It will be restored in a fuller and, and more real way one day. And every time we take this cup and this bread, our unity is restored a little bit more because it is in this, thank you, Paula. It is in this that Jesus says, they may be one, so that they may be one. His body has been broken and his blood has been poured out. So let me pray and we'll take these together. Jesus, we exalt you. It is because of who you are that we give you glory. God, we recognize and acknowledge that you are the ultimate and perfect community. What a beautiful and glorious mystery beyond our comprehension. And yet, because of the work you're doing among us, perhaps not altogether beyond comprehension. Because as you heal and restore the community in this church, we get to experience the love of God and community in one another. We thank you for that gift. And we thank you most of all that Jesus has made a way for us to enter back in to your shared life. We thank you for his body that was broken. That the brokenness of the body of Jesus heals the brokenness and the fragmentation of our community. And that as we take the body of Christ together, we are made one. So we pray, Lord, that as we take this bread you would make us one. Let's take it together. And Jesus, your blood was shed for the forgiveness of our sin. And Lord, we see that what sin has done is to create disconnect and hostility between us and God, and between us and one another, and even between us and the world. And yet the broken body of Jesus has the power to make all of these things right. It's as we share in the body of Christ that we are made one with the Father in Jesus. We are made one with one another, and that we are even reconciled to the world so that they too might know that Jesus is one sent from God to make a way for salvation for all people. So we thank you, Jesus, for your broken body. And we pray that as we um, take the cup together and we share in your blood that was shed for us for the forgiveness of our sins, that it would cleanse us in a new way because that which is in us that needs to be cleansed is what keeps us apart from you and one another. So Lord, as we take this cup, we pray that you would draw us together in unity with you and with one another, because those two things are inseparable. 
So let's take the cup together and rejoice in the forgiveness of sins. Amen. Church, our God is a community. And we're a community. And in some mysterious way, we are the same community. Right? Don't hear me wrong that we become God in all of this, but that God is kind enough to share his life with us. Maybe we can end. There's a bit of a risk in this. Can we sing together? Anyone can help me with the song that I recited earlier? We are one in the Spirit. We are one in the Lord. We are one in the Spirit. We are one in the Lord. And we pray that our unity may someday be restored. And they'll know we are Christians by our love. By our love, and they'll know we are Christians by our love. Amen. Thank you, Lord.